This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan, and thank you for joining us. This podcast is sponsored by Parent Footprint and Parent Footprint Awareness Training. At Parent Footprint, our goal and mission and passion is to create a loving world with more compassionate and loving people, one parent and one child at a time. And the way we do this is by helping parents become more aware and engaged and happy in their own lives so they can model the same for their own kids. We believe that when we're aware as parents, we can use that awareness to parent purposefully and intentionally. And that's where the show comes in, where I have the good fortune to interview wonderful experts like today, our show with my colleague Annie Fox, and we get to learn more about how we can parent with purpose and intention based on a particular topic. Today's topic is kids' friendship challenges and how parents can help. Now, Annie is the perfect person to talk to because she is an internationally respected parenting expert and trusted online advisor for tweens and teens, so she knows exactly what's going on in the lives of these kids and and youth. She teaches people how to manage their emotions so they can think more clearly and act more respectfully and compassionately for themselves and others. This is exactly what we need to be talking about in this day and age. Um, Annie is the host of the popular podcast, Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. And she has award-winning books and apps that include the Middle School Confidential Series, the Girls Q&A Book on Friendship, and Teaching Kids to Be Good People. Annie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Dan. I'm delighted to be here. So just in everything that I just talked about you, like the themes that run through everything, which is why I'm so glad we're talking today, is about compassion, being a good person. How do you treat people? You know, and it just seems like this is the core of humanity and the human element and something that... Um, I think all of us um, are thinking about how important that is in this day and age with what's going on in the world. I totally agree. And I was so delighted to hear you describe um, your mission statement and on the intro here as um, helping parents create a loving world with more compassionate people in it as parents and teachers as well. I think that's, that's our number one goal. As I usually say, it's the only dance in town. So let's talk about this dance that we are both aligned in here. So let's talk about the dance. So 
what do, what do we need to be thinking about when we're raising these young people to be uh, future adults? Well, f- for my money, I think that we need to first think about how we treat them because if if it's our goal as educators, and I say that not all teachers are parents, but all parents are teachers, if it is our goal as our children's teacher to um, have them learn that the way we treat people is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we often tell them that their emotions are really important and, and how they feel is the most important thing. And while I agree, we need to teach our children about the language of emotions, how to um, intelligently and perceptively read other people's emotions so we can align ourselves with them and understand them better, which that leads to compassion. Um, aside from that, I think we miss a step here when we tell our kids it's all about how you feel and how other people feel and and they get really good at describing how they feel. These emails that I've been on the receiving end of for the last 19 years, um, I find the kids extraordinarily articulate about how they feel and how their friends feel, but they kind of get stuck there. So the other piece for our parenting mission is to let our kids know that, yes, your feelings are important, but your behavior is more important. Hmm. That's really interesting. So maybe an unintentional over-focus on how we feel, how they feel, and that, again, I'll say unintentionally might put a barrier into thinking about the feelings of others, which creates empathy and compassion? Yeah, I think it is an overemphasis in a way, or it's just like um, the road doesn't end there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's it's a first step, and it's an important first step to understand how other people feel will impact the way we treat them. But what I hear a lot from kids is that when you um, hear about something that they have done, and you ask them about it, help them debrief from it. Obviously, you want to um, make sure that they learn from their missteps. And you ask them, well, what was going on? Well, she hurt my feelings. I did that because she hurt my feelings, as if that explains everything and excuses everything. And it doesn't. No, and it certainly doesn't when we grow up and uh, we have laws and rules that we have to abide by. You know, people can do some pretty bad things to us, but we still have to be accountable for our own behavior. Exactly, exactly. And and so I encourage parents to think beyond the how do you feel. Um, be compassionate when you help your children debrief from emotional um, situations. Listen more than you talk. And um, make sure that you mirror back what it is they're telling you. I was upset. I I feel jealous. I feel left out when my friend pays more attention to this person than to me. I feel um, betrayed when my friend tells a secret that she promised not to tell or when she breaks a promise to me about um, spending time with me and then goes off with someone else. All those things are important. And you listen as a parent and then you say, okay, and now what? do you want to do about this? This is how you Mm. feel. And the next step is what do you want to do? Because kids can get very stuck in self-pity. Right, right. And then you're turning it back towards a behavior and action. Right. Um, The the other thing that you're talking about, which um, 
we're going to hit on in a little while is how you help them to develop their ideas about what they should do versus um, us just sort of telling them what to do, right? Right. And I think that comes from the way we treat them. Mm-hmm. You know, if if when we're angry, we scream <laughs> or God forbid we hit, <laughs> yep. um, then we are in fact showing them that this is what you do when you're angry. Mm-hmm. If instead um, you express anger in a clean way, which... You know, I define that as I'm upset with what you've just done, but I'm not going to dredge up a whole bunch of stuff that um, shames you or lets you know that um, I I am not pleased in addition to this moment, but, you know, 50 other moments in the past that you were equally out of control, my dear child. Um, Instead of that, a clean anger is, no, um, I'm not cool with this. I, I don't like what I'm seeing. And we need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a very focused kind of thing. And, it, and, and um, we can model self-control, which is a really wonderful gift to give to children. As I said, we are their teachers, and so we need to be modeling that. We need to show them that when we're about to lose it, we have enough mindfulness to stop and take a slow, deep breath and calm ourselves down before we can proceed. Because if we fail to do that, we will only make things worse. We won't be our most effective parent in the next moment. So we want to show them that we all lose it from time to time. Absolutely. But, but we need to um, be able to hit the brakes and calm ourselves down and then continue with the conversation. And, you know, we're going to be talking about friendship challenges. And so before we talk into those varied and diverse challenges that um, – kids experience how how do you suggest parents set expectations for what are healthy friendships standards for healthy friendships that's a great question dan i'm really glad you asked it because i think we don't do a very good job there (laughs) um you know when kids are in preschool um someone can become your friend because they say yes when you say can i play (laughs) Mm -hmm. or you know oh wow you got an interesting snack there can i have one of those crackers sure I have a new friend, <laughs> which, which is nice because we want, we want people to include us. We want to feel safe and ex- accepted in friendship. We want friends to be generous and caring. All those things are the beginning of creating standards for friendship. But beyond that, um, those early lessons, we don't do a very good job or a very comprehensive job in helping our kids understand that the best friends are the ones that... Um, help you feel safe, people who are reliable, that you can count on them, people who treat you with respect, and what does that mean? People who make you feel safe. And, and when we hear our children in, in grade school and then in, in middle school and beyond um, come home with stories about how a friend wasn't treating them with respect, those are teachable moments for us to help our kids reevaluate and reassess. Okay, well, from your perspective, sweetheart, um, what makes a good friend? Mm-hmm. If you were to fill in the blank to this sentence, I want a friend who is. And just sit down and actually help your kid brainstorm and make a, a physical list. Good listener, uh, fun to be with, um, 
treats, doesn't make fun of me, you know, actually stands up for me even when I'm not around, someone I can count on, all of those things, these are, these are great building blocks of friendship. And then when a, when a child comes home and, and shares a, a disappointment in a friend, you say, okay, well, what did, what did that friend fail to do in terms of um, treating you with what you say is important to you? And, and mm-hmm. is, this, is this a consistent um, betrayal? Um, how have you addressed it, sweetheart? If, if every time your friend says, yes, I will do that, and they fail to do it, um, do you talk about it? Do you, let your, it, do you let your friend know that this isn't okay? And, and what can we as, as friends on both sides of this friendship do to make this better? And what I'm really hearing in your approach, again, is questions. Because I'm think, you know, asking them questions. You're educating them about maybe a characteristic. You're helping them become aware without telling them um, that it, it, it might not be nice. It didn't feel good. Right. But then you're also you're asking them so they can process and um, and get in touch with how they're feeling and how that behavior affected them. Because I think, again, awareness is everything. And you talk about what we model for our kids. You know, when people are just um, out loud in the uh, kitchen island saying, did you hear what they put to this to, about me on Facebook? And I'm just going to put this. Or someone comes right. home from work and says, you know, someone said this to me. And, oh, my, you let me tell you what I told them. I really got them. That whole time, we're modeling how to interact and how to be treated and how not to be treated. Exactly, exactly. And, and so if we really truly want our kids to um, evolve to a point where, you know, stuff happens in friendships, what do you do? You either um, accept it silently, in which case you can pretty well bet it will continue and mm-hmm. accelerate, um, or you can toss out the friendship and just cut off all communication and, you know, I believe in karma, Dan, which means mm-hmm. that if there's some lessons that you need to learn about standing up for yourself in a relationship, you better believe it. And if you discard this particular relationship, the universe will provide another opportunity for you in another relationship to deal with that same barrier to standing up for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so... When we encourage our kids to take the easy road, which is, oh, well, maybe she was just having a bad day, or, um, well, just stay away from her. Um, These kinds of messages, they don't resolve anything, not in the present time relationship, nor on on an evolutionary kind of um, scale for your child as he or she is um, growing into an adult. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, as a parent of three, I know, um, like the listeners out there, it is incredibly, can be incredibly painful to see your child struggling um, in the social world. And, you know, you want to go do something, you don't know what to do, it evokes anger, you want to, you know, and so it would, I think it'd be really helpful since you have worked in this field for so long with so many age kids help the help out the parents parents who are listening like what are the normal again i say this normal they might be painful but normal relationship challenges that kids face as they grow up normal is um teasing rejection um up and down friendships where mm-hmm. you know <laughs> you're getting just enough intermittent feedback that your kid will hang in there because well mom she's nice to me sometimes <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And, and I call that accepting crumbs in a friendship. When your kid um, maybe has some self-esteem issues and believes that crumbs are better than nothing, and they somehow um, assume that if they find the exit in this friendship, and I always tell kids, there is an exit in every relationship, and you have the right to go through it. Um, if they exit the friendship, they will never find another friend again. And so they come from a place of scarcity, and they say, well, crumbs are better than nothing. A bad friendship is better than no friendship. And I say, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. not true, not at mm-hmm. all, because we know that the lessons that our children learn in friendship are the basis of the, the lessons and mindset that they take into their romantic relationships down the road. And may that seem like, whoa, my kid is nowhere near dating yet. They will be at some point. And, and if they believe that crumbs are what they deserve, then crumbs are what they'll get. And that's not what you want to see. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, teasing ups, yeah. And, up, ups and downs, um, being replaced in a friendship. Um, all, that friendship that you thought was tighter than anything and could never be broken, all of a sudden a new kid comes into the class, into the picture, and your BFF now wants to spend all his or her time with this new person. And it, it's, it can feel like the loss of a lover for, for kids who bond very intensely, in, in, especially in middle school, with their friends, and they don't understand why their friend is choosing to spend time with someone else rather than them. And because that friend also doesn't have the tools to talk about it, um, your child is now made to feel like they've done something wrong. And that's very frustrating because they can't really get to the core reason, which is maybe the friendship was just outgrown on the other Mm -hmm. side. And so we get keyed in as parents. Well, and this makes me think about um, how... In the beginning, when our kids are little, we sort of pick their friends, yeah. and their friends are who our friends are. And as they get older, and their friends, there's this, we don't get the memo when we're supposed <laughs> to not keep managing the friendships and the play dates yes. and step back. So how do parents, what's your experience about parents transitioning to help well, kids pick their own friends versus we pick them and set up the play dates and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, I think that's a really important question, and just why you need to teach these standards of friendship to your kids because you're not always going to be there selecting their playmates for them. And if you want your family values, um, integrity and um, loyalty and compassion and kindness to to be. Um, hallmarks for your kids as they choose their their um, close relationships throughout life, then you need to instill those. And when you do that, your level of confidence will go up in your kids' judgment. So by the time they get into middle school, when you often have feeder schools and you don't know all the kids that your child goes to school with because they come from different parts of the community, um, and and let's face it, you know, you're not hanging out at the playground ready to pick your kid up at the end of the day and having chats with other parents. Um, those opportunities are mostly gone. So by the time your kid gets to middle school, you hope that they've internalized a set of standards for what it means not only to be a good friend to me, but for me to be a good friend to others. And mm-hmm. that two-way street that I talk about a lot with the kids and parents that I that I work with. And, and so I think that's your best bet 
because mm-hmm. you're right. You don't. You lose control of of the ability to select playmates for your parent for your kids. So um, when your kid in middle school, suppose you haven't really done a great job. You're listening now, and your kid is in seventh grade, and you're not really keen on the people that your kid is friends with at this point in his or her life. What do you do? How do you step back? Well, I think at that point you kind of need to be an observer, and as an observer you can give feedback to your child. For example, if you're in carpool, if kids are hanging out at your house, or if you in any way have opportunities to notice behavior between your child and their their, um, peers, and you see stuff that you're not comfortable with, what do you do with those feelings? You're right. You can't choose who they spend their time with at school, but you're still a number one influencer in your child's life. So you might say something like this. Um, When you're with Johnny, here's what I've observed. Um, the the tone of language between you guys seems very um, hostile and nasty, and I'm not comfortable with it. And so I'm I'm wondering, sweetheart, how does it feel for you to be Johnny's friend? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, That's a really yeah. It, it's an observational statement. It's not like, do you really like that kid? <laughs> well, yeah, and it's something that a child doesn't just not, especially a middle school child, is not just going to react to. Right. And the other thing that is behind all of this, you said uh, a little bit earlier, is um, you have to trust your kid. You know, like what? You know, trust my kid. Trust my kid when they're in middle school and they're young and they're impulsive and they're making all these poor decisions. And I think one of our our biggest challenges when we're trying to raise these people to have solid reasoning, trust themselves, good value standards, is we have to give them an opportunity and show them trust, even if it's not going exactly the way we want it to go. Right. And that's why you want to bend the question back. I know how I feel when I hear you interacting with this kid, but -hmm. I want to know how it feels to you to be in this relationship. Tell me about that. And if, if you've um, couch that question in a, in a neutral way, and you have um, set up um, a trusting relationship where you listen more than you talk with your tween or teen, then I'm going to guess that they are not going to jump to defending their friend, but they're going to say, well, you know, tell you the truth, Dad. You know, sometimes it's hard to be his friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can say, tell me about that. And you just, you listen and you listen. So essentially what you've done is you've planted the seed in your tween or teen's mind that it's okay in present time to evaluate friendships. Just because you've been friends since fourth grade and now you're in seventh grade doesn't mean it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. And part of this uh, listening and trusting is we hear often when a child says, um, I don't want to invite her to my party. Mm-hmm. And a parent will say, well, that's my good friend's mm. uh, daughter. And they say, but you don't understand. She's mean to me. She's yes. ha- other people are picking on me. And then we're in a, right? Parents are in a conundrum when that happens. Do, what do we listen to? Our social awkwardness and standing or our kid who's saying something that's really important? Well, I'm always the kid advocate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But here's the thing. If it is your best friend's kid, mm-hmm. um, And you can take that same observational um, perspective. You can talk to your friend and say, you know what? When Emma and and, um, Jesse get together, I don't think they bring out the best in each other these days. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm observing. And if your friend is honest, she will tell you she's seeing the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. And when you say, I don't think the girls are bringing out the best in each other at this point, maybe they could take a break. Um, you're not demonizing the other child. Nobody needs to get defensive. And I, I think it's respectful of your child to listen. You should never foist a relationship on on your child. I mean, listen, they know how it feels to be in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't necessarily know. So um, if you need to talk to your friend about why... Um, Jesse wasn't invited to the party, then have that conversation. Well, but, it's, it's yeah. so respect is big in your approach because, yes. you know, we start at the top of the show. We're talking about um, we agree on raising compassionate and loving people. And it would make sense that we need to treat people with respect in order to help these relationships and these solid um, these solid values develop. And I hear you talking to the adults and potential friends in the same level of non-judgmental questioning as you would a child. Absolutely. There's no difference in the way that I mm-hmm. talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if my children are watching me, they're going to get that you don't switch gears, mm-hmm. that everybody deserves respect. You know, kids who have been um, harassed or teased they come out and say, their, their big complaint is that I'm not being treated with respect. They may not say it that way, but that's what they're feeling. Um, and so I think it's really important to model respect all the time and, and, and to let your kids know that even when I disagree with you or anyone, I have a standard of behavior mm-hmm. out in the world and within the family, no matter how angry I am, I treat you with respect. You can count on that. And sometimes I really need to do a lot of job, uh, a lot of work under the hood to get my emotions um, at, a, at a level where I can speak in a respectful tone, but it's worth mm-hmm. it because I want you to see that this is, this is a standard in our family. Mm-hmm. So if you could try to distill all of the stuff and great advice that you've given and have given over the years to parents listening, one thing, if they could only do one thing or focus on one thing to help their kids navigate friendship challenges, what would you say that thing is? Take a look at the way you navigate your friendship challenges and, and conflicts in relationships. Take a look at that. If you are um, in any way feeling disempowered in a relationship and have let it fester, um, you need to do something about that so you can learn what it feels like to resolve a conflict. And sometimes resolution means I'm going through the exit in this relationship. But you cannot hope to teach what you haven't learned yet. I love it comes back to our awareness, which leads us almost as if planned, though it wasn't, almost as if planned to our last question <laughs> okay. of the show, the parent <gasps> footprint question. So Annie is going to answer the parent footprint question, which is a time when she became aware of something about herself as an individual or herself as a parent, and that awareness benefited her child. Not, not too big a question, Dan. That's a really <laughs> big question. <laughs> okay, so here's what comes to mind. Um, my daughter, who is an adult now, um, I'm picturing this because it's raining outside right now. It's kind of cold. She was in the first grade, six years old, and she was sitting by the heater in our bathroom upstairs, keeping warm and getting dressed for school. 
And uh, she was a child who I say was chronically challenged. And by mm-hmm. that, I simply mm-hmm. mean is she had no awareness of time. Uh, mm-hmm. Very creative kid. Um, a couple of years ago, she wrote her debut novel that was published. And so she grew up to be a writer. And, awesome. And, and which is a wonderful thing. But when you're trying to manage a six-year-old on a school morning, mm-hmm. um, you want her to be more linear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So um, there she was sitting on the bathroom floor by the heater, putting on first one sock. And I thought, okay, she's got it together. I'm going to go downstairs and make some breakfast. And I say, okay, sweetie, put on your other sock and come on down. Breakfast will be ready because we only have, oh, 25 minutes before you have to leave for school. And she walked She walked to school down the hill. And uh, so I was there making breakfast, waiting, waiting. Five minutes went by, 10 minutes went by, 12 minutes went by. I went back upstairs. And she didn't, Dan, she didn't have the other sock on yet. Uh-uh. She <laughs> it had, takes a while. No, it takes she actually, a while. she had taken yeah. off the first sock, which oh, <laughs> we were going oh. backwards here. She yeah. had both socks on her hands and it turned them into sock puppets. Way and, more fun. Yeah. And she was, she was, and they were singing uh, original lyrics <laughs> and music. It was like Avenue Q, only G-rated. Um, it was great. <laughs> she was great. But I was like very time-oriented at that moment. And I said, sweetheart, yeah, you haven't put on your sock yet. I can't believe it. It wouldn't take me 12 minutes to put on a sock. And she just looked at me with her beautiful blue eyes and she said, Mom, I'm not you. ha. <laughs> I'm not you. Your children are not you. I am not my daughter. And it was a real mind-blowing, wonderful epiphany for me, Dan. Um, Helped me step back and recognize that while there are family values we want to instill in our children, they are not us. We are not them. The times are different. And um, we need to meet them where they are. That is a beautiful parent footprint moment. Everyone, did you hear that? They are not us, we are not them, and we need to meet them where they are. That is huge. That is wisdom. Thank you. (laughs) Annie, thank you for imparting your wisdom today. You have lots of places where people can access your wisdom and experience, so please let everyone know where to do that. Well, the easiest place to go is just to go to anniefox.com. A-N-N-I-E-F-O-X dot com. And everything I do is pretty much there. There's a link to everything I do there. So um, just go to AnnieFox.com. There are lots and lots of resources, both in text and video form. I strongly suggest you look Annie up. She's a wonderful resource. Annie, thank you for teaching us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Everyone... Find us at www.parentfootprint.com. And as you go off into the world, remember to think about what footprint you want to leave.